Acts chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. <clears throat> and he, that is Saul, was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Saul had been confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ. He appeared to him. He spoke to him. Before he entered Damascus to do his evil persecution of the church. Jesus, when the one that Saul had denied and desired to have his name never uttered again, who was breathing out threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. We see here the vehemence that he was wrapped up in. As we need breath to live, so for Paul to, Saul to live, he needed to be in this act of persecuting firing threats against the church. But Jesus showed him that to persecute the church was to persecute him. Now we must see what has happened. The church, <clears throat> the believers in Christ, are the people of God. For we know that Christ is God. And so when he says that Saul was persecuting him by persecuting the Christian church, he is saying then that the church, the Christian church, is God's people. Now the church was never designed to be as a replacement for the Jews, but it was the final destination for all who have like faith in Abraham. And so through faith, we become the seed of Abraham, the children of his. The coming together of Jews and Gentiles through faith in Christ is now what we would call God's people. Consider this. The Old Testament is now closed. Paul's not sitting there, or Saul is not sitting there waiting for another minor prophet to write, for another Moses to come around and add to the books of the law. There are no more Psalms that will be written. The Old Testament was finished because the Old Testament had done everything that it was designed to do. And was fulfilled when Christ came to be amongst 
the people. The Old Testament's job was to point to Jesus Christ, to confirm who he was, so that those who truly read the scriptures would be able to say, there he is. This is the Messiah. Remember when you had Cleopas and his friend, as they were walking after the uh, crucifixion and on the day of the resurrection, and they were walking and talking to each other. And Jesus joins them. And he asked them, why are you looking so down? I said, well, we believed in this Jesus and it's the third day and we've heard rumors about his resurrection, but, but we're not sure. And Jesus calls them foolish because they knew the Old Testament scriptures and they couldn't figure out that Christ was to rise from the dead on the third day. So what did he do? He opened the scriptures to them. Well, what were the scriptures? The Old Testament. And he showed them from the law, the prophets, and the Psalms that they all pointed to him. So once Jesus arrived, there was no more to point to. He was here. The one that had been promised in the Old Testament. So when Christ came, the Old Testament had no more to do. No more to reveal. Jesus would speak of, of those who are in the, of the synagogue of Satan. In Revelation 3 and verse 9, he said, Those who say they are Jews but are not, but lie. Strong words. But if they were truly Jews, they would know that he was the Messiah. And they would worship him. They would believe the witness of the Old Testament. And had seen Christ as the Messiah. Now let's be clear. Unfortunately in a lot of Christianity. What passes for Christianity. There's a lot of people who don't think. About that with the Old Testament. They say oh it's the New Testament. Tells us about Christ. Well look how many times. In speaking of Christ. The New Testament refers to the Old Testament. And how silly Isaiah would sound. If he wasn't pointing. To Christ. Now Saul is thrown to the ground in his confrontation with Jesus. The brilliance of the light of the glory of Christ has for also for the present time blinded him. And there's something here that we should not pass over. In verse 7 of chapter 9, there were others there with Saul. But isn't it interesting the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. They heard a voice, but that voice sounded like Charlie Brown in the classroom. It was a voice, but they did not hear words. You see the difference there? They heard a voice, but they didn't hear words. And they didn't see anyone. Why? Because Christ was coming to Saul. He was speaking to him. He was revealing himself to him. And that's very important 
that we see that. Jesus was not calling them at that moment. Maybe later on he would. But at that time, he's calling Saul. One of the requisites for being an apostle was to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. And in verse 15, this is what Jesus said Saul would be. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. This is what Jesus says Saul will be. He will be a witness. He will be an apostle. And again, we see Jesus appears and speaks directly to Saul, but he does not to those with him. In verse 10, when he speaks to Ananias, notice what happens here. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said, how? In a vision. Ananias, and he said, behold, here I am, Lord. So even, you see the difference? Jesus has appeared personally to Saul, but he has not appeared personally to Ananias. There's, there's a big difference there to point to. Jesus deals directly with Saul in his presence because he's going to be an apostle. So when we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1, we see this becomes a very important moment. For Paul says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Have I not seen Christ our Lord? You see, he couldn't say he was an apostle. I know we get a lot of people running around claiming to be apostles today, but you had to have seen and been instructed personally by the risen Christ. Now, unless you've got a time machine, that's not going to happen. So Paul points to this later on, that it's very important for his authenticity as an apostle to have seen and been instructed by the risen Christ. It seems that no one who traveled with him or ministered to him could say they experienced what Saul did. And we come to verse 9 and see what we might call the contrition, the humbling that is taking place. He was there in Damascus, the place he came to disrupt Without three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. He was very humbled. He had to be led into the city. He had to be brought to a house that he hadn't planned at staying in. He, had, he was totally dependent upon others and particularly on Christ. 
Now Saul had been proud of himself. We can go over to Philippians and you can see the pedigree that he speaks of. He was, well, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. And he was proud of his education. Why, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who we've already spoken of previously, the foremost of the teachers of the Jews. And isn't that interesting? Here, before he's converted, he says, well, you know, I was taught by Gamaliel. When he, gets to, when he finds out that there's a partisanship going on amongst the Corinthians, and some say, well, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Paul. He says, don't do that. Before conversion, it's all right to have superstars and, and such. But after that, we understand that we all belong to Christ and not a certain personality. He was proud, proud of his progress in Judaism. He said, well, I exceeded all my brothers. But now, in this silent and sightless state, Paul will come to the realization of two major things. The first is this, that the way that he had read and the way that he interpreted the scriptures had been wrong. He had been wrong. This is why he and his associates could not best Stephen in the debate that he had with him previously because Stephen had the right interpretation and Paul and his friends had the wrong one. That's why there's also so many errors that exist today for wrong interpretations of the Old Testament. Secondly, because he had read it wrong, his whole system of how to be righteous before God had been turned upside down. The system that he had prided himself in, well, was tremendously flawed, false, and fatal. What anguish he must have experienced in that time. And the faces and cries of those whom he persecuted must have begun to haunt him over and over again. The face of Stephen as the rocks flew and, and hit him and the screams of children as he hauled away their mothers and fathers. But though he was without bodily sight, he was increasing in spiritual sight. He would see who he was, what his condition was, and see where salvation was to be found. And this would take place in a period of, of a portion of three days. Three days, he would be raised from dead in sins and trespasses, resurrected to life in Christ.
And this would be referred to later by Paul in Galatians, Galatians 1.15. He would say, when God called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So while Saul was seeing his past life, At the same time coming also was his future hope and calling. But there was another calling that was taking place at this time too. One of the objections sometimes and criticism that come up from those who don't believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation is, well, you people probably just believe that God zaps people. And surely you don't believe in missions and evangelism. I've heard that so many times. And it's, it's one of the most rotten lies that ever came out of the pits of hell because it was those who believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation that started the modern mission movement. The others were holding back and saying, you know, there may be a problem here. If we go to these people who've never heard of Christ before and we tell them of Christ, they'll be guilty. Well, guess what? They are already. But as we saw his sovereignty displayed in the case of the eunuch and Philip, Philip was the means by which the Lord brought the truth to the eunuch. God doesn't have a magical zapper. He uses his people to bring the truth. They are his instruments to bring the truth to those who will believe to all people. And it is the Holy Spirit that takes those words and uses them. And here at the same time, what do you have? Well, you have this man Saul in great confusion. And Ananias will go to him, being sent by Jesus to go to him and confirm him in the faith. Who is this Ananias? Well, if we turn to Acts chapter 22, Paul will speak of him as he recalls these days. In Acts 22, verse 11, And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were in uh, with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brothers Saul, receive your sight. That's that. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. And then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Ananias. He was there in Damascus. Ananias was a very 
popular name amongst the, the Jews? And at that time, Paul's at a certain man's house whose name was Judas, which was another popular name, but it sure dropped off in popularity over the years. Ananias will confirm Saul in the Holy Spirit and will baptize him. Now, in verse 11, we are brought to see that the Lord Jesus tells Ananias the street and the house where Saul was staying because the Lord knows the whereabouts of his people. He knows where you are right now. And he knows where every sinner is and the number of their houses as well. The Lord Jesus knows everything that's happened to you before it happened. There's not a time where he says, oh. I'm sorry, I didn't know. But know what the Lord says of Saul at the end of the verse. Behold, he is praying. Do you ever feel sometimes your prayers are not heard? If you are Christ, he knows you are praying. So not only does he know where we are, he knows what we are doing. And I am sure Saul had prayed quite often before, and perhaps it was like the prayer of the Pharisees. I, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that publican over there. I fast twice a week. I give up my tithes. And how they recommended themselves before the Lord. Maybe that's the way he prayed before, but now he prays with the Spirit and with understanding. He prayed without pretension and pride, as one who hungered and thirst, thirsted for righteousness. Saul had not met Jesus till this point, and he had hated him whom he did not know. But to those who know him, to those who really know him, he is beauty and truth. He is mercy and grace. He is love and he is kindness. Those who despise Jesus do so from ignorance or out of hateful pride they remake him. This is the Jesus I like We're going to see later on today, if you watch the Super Bowl, that there's going to be some very expensive commercials put forth by those who are behind this new advertising remake of Jesus. He gets us. He gets us. And while some may say, isn't that honorable that they're doing this? 
No, you don't remake Jesus to make him popular for the public. And also, they're going in the wrong direction. Jesus does get us. He, he knows that we are sinners. The big problem is, do we get him? See, that's the important thing. We've got to get him. That's where eternal life is. It isn't, oh, you know, he, just as you are, you don't have to worry about anything. He gets you that way. You can, and of course, they're going to make him like he's a, he's a migrant. You know, he had to go to Egypt when he was a baby. Yeah, but it wasn't like what we see today. And some say, well, you know, here's the pragmatism that comes from modern evangelism. Well, at least it'll get people talking about Jesus. Yeah, but if you get someone talking about you the wrong way, what good is it? I could say, you know, Daryl's a great Asian. I didn't know that. But I remind you again, the Lord knows and knew where Saul was. The Lord knows, knew what he was doing. And here's the thing. He knew it not just as it was happening. He knew it before time. Our Lord in his deity has omniscience. That is, he knows everything. So therefore, there's nothing new to be learned. He knows it all. And you say, well, I, I can't understand that. Well, yeah, because you're not omniscient. It's pretty simple. If you were omniscient, you would understand omniscience. He's all-knowing. He knows all that comes and will come to us. Because he's already ordained it to be so. For omniscience is also joined to sovereignty. And to this train is omnipresence as well. He's everywhere. Saul did not pray in isolated loneliness. For the spirit was at work making intercession within Saul. With groans over his past sins and ignorance. And so I say this morning, let these magnificent truths sink in. He who was at the side and working inside a former enemy, a former sworn enemy, will certainly be with his people. And they shall never be alone. And they shall never be forsaken. Let's stand together for prayer.